Thank you for watching the video from One Church of High Point. We hope that today's message encourages you to connect to God, to others, and to your purpose. If you're looking for more information about One Church or for more resources, visit onechurchnc.net. Can you give a great big God bless you and thank you to our worship team? Amen. Incredible job. Um, those in the tech booth, we're going to forego the video. Um, just the spirit of the Lord is moving in such a way, I think it may disrupt what we're doing, and maybe we'll show it at the end. But um, I, I want to thank Scott um, for the recognition of the amazing graduation race. But the reality is that came together because of the mastermind of one Amy Lucas. Amen. Can we celebrate her, Amy, and the team of people? I've learned to not take the credit when it belongs to someone else. So thank you to her, to the team. Um, also, we just are excited about the fact that we just came off of a middle school camp week, and we had 12 students from our church at camp. It was incredible. I think all of them slept for about eight hours when they got home. Amen. And Lindy, who was with the, the students, can we celebrate her and her leadership? Amen. We thank God for them. I was able to go down and speak on Wednesday night and spend a few days there, but it was an incredible, incredible week. And then our high schoolers leave tonight uh, to head to camp, or this afternoon to head to camp for a week. So we were sending about nine of our folks to that. Um, did you know that the word father is mentioned about a thousand times in the Old Testament and the New? That the word Abba, or father, or daddy, is one of the most used words in, in Scripture. And so, as Scott said, I don't want to belabor it, but we celebrate those fathers who are in the room, those, those fathers who have stepped up, those fathers who uh, have uh, done the things that God has called you to do. And some of those fathers are with us. Some of those fathers have gone home to be with the Lord. But we just want to say we honor you. Amen? We honor you. We, we honor those that uh, maybe you didn't biologically have a child, but you've been a father. You've been a father figure uh, to someone, uh, maybe through a foster care, maybe through adoption. Uh, maybe, maybe you've been a coach or a mentor or a teacher. We, we honor you. Amen? But here's the other reality that I've learned about uh, Father's Day. It is not always an easy day uh, for everyone, and I get that. I, it's tough for a lot of different reasons. I lost my mom in 2006, and Mother's Day has never been the same since. And so we get it. We, we realize that maybe you lost your father, and today sparks that grief. We want you to know we're praying for you. Uh, maybe your relationship with your father hasn't always been the best. May God provide comfort and healing in that situation. Maybe your father was in the home, but still very absent. Maybe he was never there at all. And so we lament with you. We want you to know that we see you and that we recognize that these days in our community can come with mixed emotions. We stand with those who are celebrating and honoring fathers, and we sit with those who are grieving and dealing with their own disappointment and pain. The fact of the matter is these both can be equally true, the celebration and the honoring, but also the disappointment and the pain. And one does not diminish the other. Can I get an amen? Um, and so on Father's Day and every other day, there's no better place to turn 
than the Word of God to get exactly what we need, no matter where we sit on that spectrum today. So we want to turn our attention to the theme or to the subject of father's love, a father's love. Let's pray. Father, we know the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word stands forever. Speak into this moment. Move me in the background. May you be at the forefront. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Speak now. Give us all the courage to respond in obedience. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. Uh, I was coming home from youth group one day, and I found myself in the driveway. It was getting dark, and um, there were some guys that walked by. We dapped them up, you know, whatever, and they kept walking. And um, come to find out, there was something in the road down the street. And these guys let out a scream. And it wasn't like a little bitty scream, but it was like a loud, like, terrifying scream. Ah! That was for those who fell asleep already. Um, <laughs> And so we go down and we try to investigate, try to figure out what's going on and come to find out these guys are jumping in the road and it is a massive snake. I mean, it is not some little garden snake. Oh, no, baby. This is a copperhead. I mean, and you know copperheads are nasty, vicious, poisonous snakes. And so I'm thinking to myself, I got to help. I got to figure something out. And so I run back back to my garage and I get a can of gas and a two headed hoe. Garden utensil. And so I take my can, <laughs> my can of gas, and my two-headed hoe, garden utensil. And I run out there, and, and I get out there with the people, and the people have started to congregate. I don't know if they call somebody, text somebody, but people around the snake, and everybody got their flashlights on it. And then I realize, what am I going to do with this? I mean, what am I going to do with this? So I run back to my garage, I run back to my house, and I get a lighter, y'all. And I think it's like, you know, Eddie Murphy on Delirious with Gus. And I go out there with my lighter and my can of gas, and so I start dousing the road and the snake with the gas. And then I get my lighter, y'all, and I... <laughs> And I jump out the road onto the grass on the sidewalk. And the snake jumps out of the road onto the grass and starts following me on the grass. I jump back into the middle of the road, y'all, and just me and the snake. And this little boy said, get him, Mr. Preacher, get him. And I take my two-headed hoe, garden utensil, and I come down. And I missed. And that snake says, That little boy said, get him, Mr. Preacher. Get him. I think that little boy knew something. He knew either I'm going to get that snake or that snake's about to get me, but somebody's about to get God. Come on, say amen, somebody. And so I come down. It's like Eminem on 8 Mile, y'all. I got one shot. Ah! And I get him around the neck. And he's... And the same thing that happened there happened here. There was a delayed response of celebration that I did not die. And so the crowd disperses. I dispose of the snake. Thank God I didn't burn down my neighborhood. I get back to my porch, and I'm sitting down on my porch, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what just happened? And I have this moment. What I forgot to tell you is when I went back to the house the second time, I, I, I looked out from my, my front room, um, my office, and I thought to myself, I'm not Crocodile Dundee. I'm not a snake wrangler. I think there's somebody, I mean anybody, that's more qualified to do this than me. But I went out there anyway. And I'll never forget, I was sitting on my porch and God said something to me, I'll never forget. He said, you were, you were this close to running from what I built you 
to run towards. We were this close to running from what I built you to run towards. Now, I know it's Father's Day, and we're going to talk about fathers. We're going to talk about the Father. But I want to say to you, this message is for everybody. Because there's, there's leadership is what we're talking about. There's commitment that we're talking about. There, there's provision and there's sacrifice that we're talking about today. There is forgiveness that we're talking about today. And I think any of us and all of us can relate to this reality that sometimes we're running away from what we're built to run towards. So I want to turn our attention, if you don't mind, to a parable in Scripture. Uh, It it highlights uh, some things that have profound meaning. We find this father and we find two sons. I think there's a great deal we can see in ourselves in these characters if we pay attention. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 will begin at the 11th verse. And it says this, and I'll be reading from the NIV. It should appear on your screen. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Somebody shout sons. The younger one said to his father, somebody shout father. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, this parable is written by Luke. Luke's gospel, if you know it, he has this interest in uh, talking about how Jesus fulfilled the historical kingdom of God uh, that is found in the Old Testament. Luke also announces Jesus' arrival of the kingdom uh, as it was occurring in the year of the Lord's favor. We see that in Luke 4, 18 and 19. And he uses language, watch this, he uses language in this that talks about or references the Jubilee, which is a time of of forgiveness. It's a time of compassion. It's a time of recovering that which has been lost. And interestingly, these themes, these three themes are found in the three parables in this particular chapter. Jesus, Jesus tells us about the lost sheep. He tells us about the lost coin. And then he tells us about the lost son or the prodigal Son, all three of these parables remind us that God has a great interest in helping to redeem lost things, specifically lost people. Somebody shout lost people. And as Jesus is telling us this parable, I want to remind you that the word parable literally means to throw alongside of. It means to throw alongside of something else. So parables were typically stories that told something practical or something in a real-life way to the listener. So it was something they could understand in order to point to a deeper truth that they may not yet understand. Now, remember also that parables stand for something, that, that they're not just just uh, historical accounts, that they're not, they're not allegories where everything in the parable means something, but Jesus usually tells a parable to tell us about the nature of the kingdom of God. His parables were usually told at a moment of crisis where there was some kind of conflict. It was, they were often told to expose the heart of the listener. So the question becomes, what's the conflict? Like, what's What's the problem? What's the tension that causes Jesus to go into these three parables? Well, I'm glad you 
ask. Slide back up to Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see why Jesus is telling these three parables. He says in verse 1 of Luke 15, now, somebody shout now. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but, somebody shout but, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ah, ah, now we see the conflict. Some religious leaders, some religious people are wondering, why in the world is Jesus eating? Why in the world is Jesus hanging out? with sinners. They either believe that Jesus is willfully breaking the law or cultural traditions, or Jesus doesn't know any better. And to these religious leaders, these people called Pharisees, both of these were inexcusable to them. It is almost as if they are saying he is eating with those people. He is eating with those sinners as if they were without sin. Come on, somebody say amen. Like, like their stuff don't stink. Come on, somebody. That, that, may, that maybe they were better than these these people. Their statement revealed their self-righteousness. It, it revealed their self-centeredness. So Jesus follows up their accusation with these three parables. Each of them show how God feels about lost things and lost people, that, that helping lost people find freedom is far more important than their traditions, their rules, and their regulations. We, we won't deal with the first two parables. That those are sermons within themselves, but we're going to turn our attention back to this third parable and this father with two sons. The first son is mentioned in the passage we read earlier. Now, remember in verse 11, this son comes to his father and said, Father, I want what is mine. Now, technically, it wasn't actually his yet. His parents would normally have to be dead for all of his share to actually be given to him. Also, uh, he a part of the son's inheritance, if the, if the parents were still alive, was to be used to take care of the parents and the rest of the family. But instead, instead, this son wanted his share for himself. And when he got it, he bounced. When he got it, he was like, peace out. When he got it, he went out into the world, and the Bible says he wild out. It didn't say that, but he was wilding out. Come on, say amen. So the question becomes, like, why would he do that? Why, why would he do that? Why do we wild out? Why do we take what the Father has given to us and misuse it and abuse it? Why? Why? Why would we do that? There's a term that I want to use, if you don't mind. It's, it's not in Scripture. I, I'm just going to put it here. It's something called phoblo. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Phoblo, phoblo is the fear of being left out. 
phobolo is the fear of being left out. I think all of us wrestle with this, if we're honest. The fear of being left out, it creates a sense of insecurity. It creates a sense of restlessness. It is actually what our culture, the media, and marketing strategies thrive on. They thrive on our phobolo, our fear of being left out. It convinces us that we got to have the newest phone. It convinces us that we got to have the newest game, the newest car, the newest J's. Y'all ain't saying amen. The, the, the newest whatever. It plays off this idea. Watch this. It plays off this idea that we are not enough, that what we have is not enough, that maybe even having God in our lives is not enough, and that, that our life is only complete when we get something else and we add that to our lives. It is a vicious cycle because before you know it, there's something else you need to have, too. This, this son has Foblo. He, he thinks his father and his family have been holding out on him, and, and he goes out into the world trying to find his own way by doing things his way. Foblo will make us make rash decisions without even thinking them through. Foblo will have us throw out our standards and, and overstep our boundaries for temporary pleasures. Foblo is dangerous if it is left unchecked. I said to our students last week, we were talking about Samson and his story and, and the warning and the tragedy in Samson's story that when we don't know our why, watch this, when we don't know our why, we live out of why not. Let me say it again. When we don't know our why, we live out of why not. I mean, why not party all night? I mean, why not spend all my money on temporary pleasures? I mean, why not sleep around? I mean, why not? I mean, why not put things in my body that could harm me? Why not disobey my parents? Why not steal a lie and cheat? Why not? I mean, why not mistreat this person? Why not, why not be late to this important meeting? Why not overcommit and underdeliver? Why not? When we don't know our why, we live out of why not. It is a similar struggle. Now, don't, don't, don't think about this a son in the parable too harshly. Because I think if we're honest, we see ourselves in this son. Because not only that, but we see this in the beginning, in the garden with Adam and Eve. Uh, it shows that the enemy tempted them. It is almost as if Satan was saying and trying to convince them that God was holding out on them, that he wasn't giving them all the information, and that they had, they had the right to do things their way. It is the classic uh, fear tactic of foe blow. And I want you to think about the major problems that have occurred in your life that are self-inflicted. And I would argue that many, maybe not all, but most of them were probably because you and I, we also struggle with full blow, fear of being left out. When it really boils down to it, like there are really three questions that revolve around who we are as, as people. The first question is, who am I? Who am I? This goes back to identity. The second question is, where do I fit? That deals with our sense of belonging. And the third question is, what difference can I make? And that has to deal with purpose. Somebody shout purpose. Now, as a matter of fact, last week, the altar was flooded by many of you because Pastor Ryan asked about this third question. And you came to pray for clarity about that. Why? Because you know your why is really important. <laughs> Knowing who you really are is important. Having a place where you belong 
is important. Knowing that you are called to do something special is important. One of my mentors, her name is Kara Powell, she writes about this often, and she talks about it this way. She says, it is important that you know these three things. I don't have time to unpack it all. Maybe I'll do that another day. But if you understand identity, identity, uh, you want to be able to say, I am enough because of Jesus. I'm not enough because of me. Come on, are y'all with me? I'm not enough because of me. Um, The Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm enough because of who? I'm enough because of him. Like the only way I I can be anything is because of him. Um, Then the second thing is this idea of belonging. I belong with God's people. I belong with the family of God. Where you fit, where you belong is with God's people. That's why you can't just be watching and listening to to sermons and stuff online. Now, that has some benefit. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying eventually you need to be connected to a family. You need to be connected to a community. You need people who will hold you accountable, who will love you. Now, I know that's hard because church folk are church folk. Sometimes church folk, come on, are you with me? Sometimes church folk has some issues because we need Jesus too. Sometimes we say stuff that we shouldn't say. Sometimes we do stuff we shouldn't do. But the reality is your family is the same way. You got that crazy uncle. You got that, oh, y'all, come on, say amen. Like when you got a family, everybody don't have it all together. We love each other. We figure it out. The family of God is the same way. Don't get disconnected. You belong. Now, you may not belong in this local church family. There may be another family that you belong to, but we're all a part of the big C, the big C church, and we are one family. Are y'all with me? Sense of belonging. But then the third thing is the sense of purpose. I'm invited into God's greater unfolding story. That God has both a upper story and a lower story, a macro story and a micro story. The macro story is what God's doing for his people and for creation. The micro story is what God is doing for you personally, or maybe what God is doing in our local church, that God has a purpose for it all. You see, the son has the basic problem that every human being does, and that is the same problem that Pharisees had. He was being self-centered and a little bit of self-righteous. Without the Holy Spirit guiding us, typically it is all about us. It is all about what we want. He wanted his independence. He wanted his freedom, not realizing that our freedom comes uh, when we are completely dependent on the Father and we are interdependent on others. When that son, listen to me, when that son started to leave the house, I'm sure, I'm sure he didn't say, I'm going to go out and wreck my life. I'm sure he didn't say that. I'm sure he didn't say, I'm going to get tangled up in something I can't get out of. I'm sure he didn't say, I'm going to go embarrass my family and break my parents' trust. I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure he didn't think that. I'm sure he didn't say that. But all of us can relate to this idea of when we think, like, we grown and we can do it on our own. <laughs> I'm grown. I can do it on my own. Okay. All right. All right. Go on out there and get knocked up outside the head. Go on out. The reality is, like, sometimes, watch this, you would think that the father, because he loves this son, would not have given him his inheritance and would not have let him go because he knew what was going to happen to him. But sometimes the only way you're going to get it, some of us got hard heads, the only way you're going to get it is you got to hit a wall. The only way you're going to get it is you got to hit rock bottom because some of us, the way we're wired, we won't listen until we're at that place. It's unfortunate. I was like that. I wasn't going to get it. So, so um, I was out um, in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 
And one of the pastors invited us to go out and do some boating with him. Now, I'm not a boater. Come on, say amen, somebody. I'm not a boater. I'm not a boater. You know, I was new to the area. My family was new to the area. So we were like, you know, we're trying to build relationships because we're part of a family, right? He invited us. We're going to go. So we took the kids. We went out. We went on this place called Green Lake. And, and Pastor Mike had this amazing red boat. And, and he started, uh, like, getting the kids out on little tubes. And so the kids were on the tubes, you know what I'm saying? They was riding behind the boat, having a good time. And I was like, hey, Pastor Mike, like, you know, I, I want to have some fun, too. Like, you got, a, uh, uh, you got a, a tube big enough for me? And he blows up this thing called a mega bowl. And he throws it behind the boat, and y'all, I get in that mega bowl. <laughs> and I'm out there tubing, you know what I'm saying? And I'm waving at the people on the show. We all tubing around here, you know what I'm saying? We getting it in. I ain't never been tubing before. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Mike makes a turn. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you turning for? <laughs> that, that tube starts flying through the air. I'm, my legs are flailing. Legs, arms are flailing. I'm flying. I'm screaming like a little child. I'm like, ah! I crash down into the water. I'm like, what just happened? And I'm looking up at Pastor Mike, and I'm like, quit playing, man. Stop playing. And Pastor Mike's got this, like, vein bulging out his forehead. He looks upset. He looks mad. And he gives that little red bow everything. It's got... And I'm thinking to myself, please, 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 Pastor Mike, don't turn. Don't turn, don't turn. And Pastor Mike makes a turn. And I, I can feel it coming, y'all. I'm like... I'm flying through the air, in arms flailing, legs flailing. I can't hold on anymore. My white knuckles, I let go. I crash down into the water. I'm taking in water. Because see, what I forgot to tell Pastor Mike was I could kind of swim. And when you can kind of swim, you used to swimming in pools. Come on, say amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And when you're in a pool and you can kind of swim, the goal is just get to the edge. You know, just underwater, above water, get to the edge. But when you're in a lake that is five miles wide and three miles long, the edge is a long way. And I'm just, I'm just going down in the water. I'm going to come back to that story in just a second. But, like, I jumped in. I, I was zealous. I was excited. I, I wanted to copy what other people was doing. I, I want to have fun too. I, I, I wanted to enjoy my time a little bit more. And so I asked for something without counting the cost. I asked for something without thinking it through, not realizing it could have cost me my life. Oh, is anybody getting where I'm going? See, see, the reality is sometimes we're like this son. So, like, let's keep reading at verse 14. Watch what it says. It says, after he has spent everything... There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his friends to feed pigs. Mm. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Wait a minute. You mean the same dude who had a bunch of money that was partying everybody? You know, I'm buying your drinks. I got your drinks. I got your wings. Y'all ain't saying amen. I got your, you know, like he's partying up. Now he, now nobody. Nope, nobody can give me a salad. We can't get no chicken nuggets right here. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the, the two cheeseburgers is really cheap at McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Nobody. Nobody. This son spends everything he has, and now he's broke, busted, and disgusted. 
they were, there were very few jobs that were despised by a Jew as much as caring for pigs. Jews weren't even supposed to be close to them. They were unclean. But here's something I want to pass along that I think is true. We are blessed with boundaries. If we don't honor our boundaries, then we become burdens. Let me say that again. We are blessed with boundaries. If we don't learn to honor our boundaries, we eventually become burdens. Burdens on our family, burdens on institutions, burdens on society. You see, our perceived freedom sometimes seems so cool. It seems so fun. But if it is self-centered, it will always lead to sin. And when sin comes, it always paints this beautiful picture of what you can do, this freedom. But you got to understand God's freedom always will have boundaries. We see that even in the garden. The place of ultimate freedom also had boundaries. Those boundaries aren't merely to prevent us from doing something we would like to do. They are actually there to protect us. And when we toss away our boundaries and God's protection, we may have to deal with some unsavory consequences of our disobedience. He thought he was going to be free, but now he's somebody else's slave. He lost his freedom. And he is clearly lost. Now, if the story ended there, it would be tragic. But watch what it says in verse 17. When he came to his senses. Oh, thank you, Jesus. When he, I'm going to say that again. When he came to his senses. Like there's somebody out there right now that, Lord, if, if you had not come to your senses, like when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my who? I will go back to my who? I will go back to my who? And say to him, Father, I have sinned. Watch this against heaven and against you. Wow. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. Oh, I wish I had somebody on a ham and organ right now. He got up. Touch somebody say, he got up. <laughs> he got up and went to his father. Now, he remembers his father's provision. He remembers his father's protection. He remembers his father's sacrifice. What he is unsure about, what he does not know about, what he's not sure about right now is, will the father forgive him? He's not sure about his father's love. Is, is his father's love enough to restore him? Is his father's love enough to redeem him? And let me get back to that uh, lake story. So I'm going down in the water, y'all. Lindy, I'm taking in water. I'm like, I'm gurgling. You know how it is when you almost at that point? You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever been there? Like you about to drown? You know what I'm saying? And I see my family like speed off and I'm like, they're not going to get back to me in time. You know what I'm saying? And I'm taking that water. And, and, and all of a sudden I hear something say, Be still. I forgot I had a life jacket on, y'all. <laughs> I started rising to the top. <laughs> and all I could say was, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm sitting on top of the water. And all of a sudden, I hear the boat come back. And Mike's like, you all right, bro? This joke. 
And I'll never forget what God said to me. He says, I got you. I got you. My heart is racing. My adrenaline is probably about to shoot through my feet. And God says, I got you. This grown man, terrified, stepped out and did something he probably shouldn't have done. Almost cost him his life. And God's grace is sufficient. He says, I got you. And they threw another tube out there. I grabbed that tube, and they start pulling me in. And I see this little smirk on Pastor Mike's face. Like, I got you, bro. I got him like, boy, fucking just. And I see this look on my family's face. It is a look of terror and comfort. You almost die, but I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> and and I, think, I think that's what's happening in this text. I think that's what, I, you almost, but you didn't. Is there anybody in here? I, I wish I had time that you almost, but I'm glad you didn't. Oh, can I talk to somebody over here? Like where, where you really, if you could testify about what God did in your life, you almost, but I'm so glad you did. Like what will it take, y'all? What will it take for us to come to our senses? What will it take for us to admit we are wrong? What will it take for us to turn back to the Father? What will it take for us to be still and know that he is God? Like sometimes we got to hit a wall. Sometimes we got to hit rock bottom. Sometimes we will need to repent and admit that we need help. Now the question becomes, how is this Father going to respond? We know what the son is now saying. I love this because, like, this is better than any soap opera. I mean, I know you got the young and the restless. I know you got the bold and the beautiful. I know you got the days of our lives in General Hospital. I, I, I know, I know, but, but they don't have nothing on this. I mean, I mean, Maury Povich, I mean, announcing who the daddy is, ain't got nothing on this. Get your popcorn, sit back, and watch. What is this father going to do? I mean, will he, will he punish him? Will he, will he tell him, I told you so? I mean, when he gets to the door of the house, will he slam the door in his face? What is his father going to do? Like, now, I want to remind you why Jesus is telling this parable. It is for people who can only see sin in other people's lives, and they can't see it in their own. He, he is trying to teach them about how God seeks out the lost, how this father loves his son. Uh, so here we go. Watch what it says in verse 20. We're going to see the answer to our question. But while he, the son, while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him. In other words, he was looking for him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but I love what verse 22 says. But, somebody shout but. But the father said to his servants, he's not even talking to the son yet. He says, quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. We about to party. Come on, say amen, somebody. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to what? Now, this is the kind of stuff that makes you fall in love with God. This is the kind of stuff that makes you fall in love with the Father. I love the way the song Fear says it. It says, like a tidal wave crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fierce, like a hurricane that I can't escape, tearing through the atmosphere. Your love is fierce. Or, Or maybe you can relate to another song that says how he loves. It says, and he is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of the afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. Oh. When this son, when the son was on his way home, we see one of the most beautiful pictures of a father's love. It is a picture of the father's pursuit of us in spite of us. I'm reminded of the passage that says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for us to get it all together. He came after us like this father did. This is good news. Touch somebody and say, this is good news. This is good news. This is good news. Aren't you glad he came after you? Aren't you glad that he's still chasing after you today? All you have to do is turn to him right now. I don't care what kind of pigsty you've been in. I don't care how hungry you've been for the world. All you have to do is know that he has been waiting for you and he will come after you if you will just turn to him. Now, watch this. This is interesting because many historians make a big deal about uh, this Jewish father running. Now, you may be wondering, like, what's the big deal? Because uh, in Jesus' day, an adult Jewish man didn't normally run. Aristotle once said that for an adult man to run was not a sign of dignity. Uh, A gentleman does not run. But this father, somebody say this father. (laughs) Oh, this father who saw his son coming home, he forgot all the rules in this parable. He forgot about all the tradition in this parable, and he could care less about his dignity and what others thought about him. All he wanted to do was welcome his son home. He was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Uh, Makes me think about Marvin Sapp's song that says, you saw the best. In me, <laughs> when everyone else around me could only see the worst in me. You, you saw the best. And I love when he gets to that hook. He said, the best, <laughs> the best, <laughs> the best. Why? Because God sees the best in you. I know other folk, can, they can only see the worst in you. They, they can only complain and irritate you by, by just talking about what you do wrong. But I want to tell you about a father that sees the best in you. He wants to call out the best in you. He wants to tap into the best. Oh, the best. Now, you may be wondering now, what's, what's the significance of these things 
that this father gives to his son. These things that the father asks the servants to go get. Let me just give you a skinny version, a quick version of what these things mean. Well, the robe, the robe is a symbol of his status. Uh, It is probably his father's robe because he asked for the best one. Are y'all with me? Oh, oh, come come here. Come here, Joy. Come here, Joy. Like, what you got to understand is what the Father does sometimes. I know know you don't feel like uh, uh, you can wear the Father's stuff because it talks about putting on righteousness. But sometimes the Father, I know it's a little sweaty and love, but but sometimes you got to let the Father put on his robe. You you got the Father, his righteousness, not yours, but his righteousness. Because, see, sometimes when you put on his stuff, it feels like a put on. Loving your enemies. Praying for those who are despite. But see, what you got to learn to do is you're going to grow into it, but you never really fill it out. But thank God he puts his righteousness on you. He gives his robe to his son and says, when people look at you, they see me now. Oh, is any. Oh, they they don't they don't see the pigsty. They, They don't see you going out in riotous living. They don't see you going out doing your own thing. They don't see you. When they look at you, now they see me. Is anybody getting this? Thank you, Joy. Thank you. You can take it back. Put that because I'm hot. <laughs> now, the second thing you got to understand, it's not just about the robe, uh, but there's a second thing. There's this ring. The ring was a signet ring that gave the son the right to do family business. Oh. Um, the, the third thing, the shoes or the sandals, you got to understand, they distinguish him from servants who usually don't have shoes, who usually don't have uh, sandals. It reminded people that this son was still a part of the family, that even though he had made some bad choices, and, and, and here's you got to understand about this fat calf. Why are they now out there doing a, 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 a barbecue? <laughs> now, you got to understand... In Jewish culture, in this particular time, they didn't usually eat meat. It was, not, it was not usually a part of their diet, typically. They would only eat meat usually when there was some type of celebration or there was some type of religious ritual. And so this, this father is basically saying this son coming home is so significant that I need to get the whole community together to celebrate. We're not just going to celebrate as my family. We're going to celebrate as a community, and I'm willing to make a sacrifice to put it out there that my son is now home. So what this tells me is that God doesn't just provide for us practically, but God will also provide for us spiritually. That God does not just provide for us theoretically, but God will provide for us socially and emotionally. Because you got to understand, it's probably embarrassing to this son to come home. I mean, people... Can't you see him over there in the corner? He back. I knew he was coming back. Look at him. So this father cares so much about the son, he's not just caring for him spiritually. He's not just caring for him theoretically. He's caring for him socially. And he's saying, my son has been restored. My son has been redeemed. If I can restore my son, if I can forgive my son, why can't you? It wasn't your stuff he took. It wasn't your inheritance he took. It was mine. And so if I can restore him, why can't you? Notice what the son said. He he first came to a decision, and then he came to a confession. He said, I've sinned 
Whew. Probably the three hardest words for us to say are like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I have sinned. Amen? I was wrong, I am sorry, I have sinned. But those three words come out of his mouth because often we make excuses about our sin. But this, this son doesn't do that. Like, he's, he doesn't have the luxury of doing that anymore. Like, that's why some of us, we hit the wall. Like, we come back running to Jesus so hard because we know what it's like out there. John, 1 John 1, 8 9 says this. It says, if, we, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The answer in his confession and repentance is critical. Unconfessed um, sin has a way of putting a chokehold on our soul. It has a way of creating spiritual blindness. He says he has sinned against heaven and his father. He confesses to God. He confesses to his father. His father restores him. That's the good news. We almost done, y'all. That's, that's the good news. But here, here's where the story takes a little bit of a turn. Because you would think that the parable is over. You, you would think that, you know, you got the barbecue going, everybody's celebrating. Jesus would, would end the parable, but he doesn't. The lost son has come home. The father has restored this son, and everybody is celebrating. Well, almost everybody. Let's read on in verse 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Hmm. Uh, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you feel the cat. How does he know he's been squandering with prostitutes? That's what... <laughs> How does he know that? <laughs> Nobody said how he spent the money. But somehow this son knows. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, for a long time, I thought there was only one lost son in this story. But if we're honest, there are actually two lost sons. I, I, I thought the bulk of the story was told to illuminate or, or to illuminate like this, this first son's wild living, to explain why Jesus is eating with these sinners and tax collectors and, and how Jesus and the Father feel about lost people. But, but the more I study the story and who Jesus is specifically telling these parables to, I think it's easy to miss that the second son's lostness 
is as equally important for the Pharisees and for us to see. This second son also has faux blow. This second son also has the fear of being left out, but he has it for all the wrong reasons and different reasons. Yes, some of us are lost because we go after things of the world and we go hard after uh, wild living like the first son, but don't get it twisted. That is not the only way to be lost. It is possible to be lost and living in fear while you're in the Father's house. Wait a minute. How is that even possible? Another way of saying it is, we can be lost while going to church and doing churchy stuff. Oh, who am I talking to? Like, we can be lost going to church and doing churchy stuff. Because, see, we can fall in love with church We can fall in love with the music. We can fall in love with the speaking. We can fall in love with the people and not fall in love with the God who created all of it. And so what we then do is we we find another community and more people because we've fallen in love with the church stuff, but not the God of the church. We can be lost in the presence of other believers, and we have this temptation that's like the Pharisees when we are here. We like, because when you get there, when you fall in love with, a, with the stuff of, of God and the stuff of church, what you have a tendency to do is we start to point out other people's faults instead of looking at our own heart. It is our way of saying, at least I'm not that bad. <laughs> are you with me? I know I'm in there now. Y'all got real quiet. Because for a long time in my life, I was the first son. But for the last 20-something years of my life, I've had to struggle to deal with the temptation of being the second son. Because, no, I'm not doing the wild living anymore. No, I'm not out there wilding out. But I can be real cynical. I can be real skeptical. I can be, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I can, I can be talking, what they doing over there? Like, I can, are you with me? Why? Because we got to deal with that second son spirit, too. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because what happens sometimes, it can be dangerous to be in this place. We have full access to the Father's love, but we don't fully grasp it. Or we forget how much we need him when we see other people struggling. And we are as disconnected as the first son. We just have a churchy facade to cover it up. So Jesus basically gives the Pharisees a warning, I'm almost done, y'all, of being like the second son. And you may be asking, like, what does this look like today in our lives? Maybe, maybe God is giving you and me a warning today if we fall into this category. Maybe God wants to bring conviction to this spirit of cynicism and skepticism. Here are some examples of the, the symptoms or uh, uh, some of the spirit of the older brother. We struggle to celebrate what God is doing in someone else if it doesn't include us. We can find what's wrong with them, but we rarely talk about what's right with them. We fall, in, we fall in love with rules and positions instead of relationships. We want to win arguments more than we want to win hearts. We use God to run from God. This is when we create spiritual activity for God and we ignore important underlying issues that God may want to change in our lives. We do things in God's name that he never asked us to do. Well, you know, I heard from the Lord. 
No, did you? Did you really, though? Like, have you, have you processed that? Have you gone through a discernment process with, with people who, who can affirm that they sense that this is God, too? Oh, no, 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 no. We, we, we use God to run from God. We divide our lives into sacred and secular compartments when the reality is everything is sacred. Everything. Your work, how you treat your family, how you treat that person at the restaurant later today, what you say about that person in traffic, all of it's sacred. It's not, oh, my holy life and my other life. No, no, it's all sacred. We, we do for God instead of being with God. We think it's about duty and we forget our identity in him. We spiritualize away conflict. In an effort to create true peace, Jesus constantly disrupted any false sense of peace. He taught us how to engage conflict in a way that brings life, truth, and hope. He's giving us an example in this passage. He doesn't run away from it. He engages it. We live without limits. Now, Jesus modeled being bold and courageous, but he also had healthy boundaries. He stole away to pray. He didn't heal everybody. Once we cross the limits God sets for us, we get in trouble. A life without limits forgets one huge principle. He is God and I am not. We feel we need to defend the church or God at the expense of loving people. Like God doesn't need you to defend him. He can defend himself. Like a lot of the stuff you see on, on media outlets and social media, like people trying to defend. Like, you know, you don't. Now you can stand up for truth, but you don't have to defend God. He can defend himself. Are you with me? But sometimes we get so excited about those kind of things because it gives us a sense of identity and it gives us a sense of power and it gives us a sense of, 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 of how people look at us when the reality is, no, you, you don't need to do that. God can do that for himself. And then the last one is the one that we see in this text. We judge other people's spiritual journey. We must remember what the Pharisees forgot in these two verses. We are all in need of God's grace. The, the father loves both these sons, both of them. The father loves the Pharisees. Jesus is trying to help them. And the father loves you. Um, this is how I want to end. So I was in Ghana, West Africa. And um, I was there. I was uh, staff at Guilford College here in Greensboro. And uh, they sent me to Ghana to, uh, we had a study abroad program that we sent, I think at that time we had eight students there. And typically the staff member from the, from the college or the professor from the college would go over either before um, or with the students when they arrived or they would come at the end. And so this particular trip, I went at the end. And typically what you would do is you would um, kind of thank the university, the University of Cape Coast, um, and, and you would thank the families that hosted them and people that gave them internships and all that kind of stuff. So, so I'm there thanking people. And uh, I've been, I think I told you all this, I've been cutting my hair since I was in middle school. And, um, you know, like I'm getting on the plane, and I ain't never been to Ghana before, and I didn't realize, like, in some countries, the voltage is different. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you ever been to another country, and the voltage, like, the voltage in Ghana is higher when you plug something in the wall than it is here. And, and what you need when you go to another country, and the voltage is higher, you need a converter. I didn't have a converter, and so I plug my clippers into the wall thinking I'm going to cut my hair, and they start smoking. Not good. Not good. 
Not good. And so I'm, you know, I couldn't cut my hair, you know, and I'm used to cutting my hair like every three or four days. I can't cut my hair. And then I see a, uh, a guy by the name of Kobe, and he comes over, and he's like, got this fresh, like, fade, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, he's got this fresh cut, and I'm like, hey, Kobe, like, like where, where'd you get your haircut? He was like, man, we're going to Kumasi, where I'm from. There's this guy there that can cut your hair. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus, because I'm starting to look like the woolly mammoth. Y'all ain't saying amen. And so we arrived to Kumasi, and, and I'm looking for the barber, and I'm in the house, and the barber comes in, he shows up, man, and he's got this little bitty bag. And I'm like looking around the bag like, man, they must have small clippers here. And they must be battery operated. You know what I'm saying? We go outside. He's like, I don't want to cut your hair in here. I'm going to cut your hair outside. We go out into the courtyard, and there are people all around the courtyard. I'm like, what are they doing here? And there's this chair in the middle of the courtyard with a bucket of water. And I'm thinking, clippers, water, don't go together. But you don't, you, you know, you don't want to embarrass your host. And so I'm like walking, I'm like, is this, is this, we good? So I sit down and the guy opens his bag. The first thing he pulls out of the bag I was good with, it was a comb. I was like, okay. <laughs> Second thing he pulls out is a razor blade. And he takes the water, he puts the water on my head, and starts massaging my head. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> and you can hear the crowd. Ooh. Oh. Mm. Uh. Like in my spirit, I'm like, <laughs> and this brother starts. <laughs> Raise the blade and comb. That's all he's got. I'm like, please don't let a fly fly on my nose, a head. <laughs> he cuts my hair in like 15 minutes. And then he gets to that last part, brothers, where he's got to do my line. And I'm terrified. Because you can't get a haircut without a line. Come on, let the brother say amen. You can't get a haircut without. And he's a, he giving me that line. And he looks at me and says, I'm finished. I get the mirror, I'm like, hey, 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 and the crowd starts clapping and everything. Now, I'm partially clapping because it's a really good haircut, but I'm also clapping because I'm not dying and there's not blood streaming on my face. Y'all hear what I'm saying? They start clapping everything. They, uh. Now, here's the point of the story. You can stand. Uh, worship team, come join me. Here's the point of the story. I mean, people are leaving I go back to the house, the barber comes back in the house with me, and I thank him for the haircut, you know, I'm like, man, appreciate you, I don't look like the woolly mammoth anymore. And then I ask the question that you, you're thinking, you know, how long you been cutting with just a razor and a comb? He was like, oh, what you need to know is I had something else in the bag. And he pulls out this knife that looks like a Rambo knife. He said, I, I almost used this, but I thought I might scare you. Man, my knees got weak. <laughs> and then I asked him the other question you're thinking. What were all those people doing out there? And Kobe was like, man, 
That's Kwame, I'm sorry, I said Kobe. His name was Kwame. Kwame says to me, this guy, we just had an um, earthquake. It destroyed his barbershop, destroyed his line of business. He hasn't been able to recover. But I knew if you would let him cut your hair as an American in Ghana and people saw it, his business would shoot through the roof. I thought the haircut was about me, but it wasn't. I thought me forgetting my, or not knowing that there's a need for an inverter or converter, I thought that was my, my issue. Oh no, God had a bigger plan. And that's what I wanna tell you about your life and what you've been going through. You sometimes think it's about you, and I know I'm, I've been there too, but it's not. There's always something bigger. I thought that this parable was just for the Pharisees. It's not. It's for us over 2,000 years later. So I want to make a call really for two groups of people. I know we all have FOBLO, but I want you to be thinking about like who, which son do you identify most with in the story? Can, can you see and accept the Father's love or will you continue to live in fear? What does your next step of faith, what does it actually look like? Some of us, that first son, that's us right now. And we've run away from the Father, we've tried to do it our way, and it ain't working. Will you come to your senses today? This first call is for people simply saying, whether you're a son or a daughter out there, the father is saying, come home. And so we just want to make this space a place where you can return to the father. I'm just going to ask our elders or deacons or our ministers here at One Church to just get in position. If you feel like you need to make that decision today to come home. I just want you to come. Like some of us, we should be running to the altar. I remember when that was me. My hands got all sweaty. My heart started to race because I knew it was time. But everything in me said, no, I'll wait. I'll wait. But I want to say to you, the Father says, come home. I don't care how wild it's been. I don't care how turned up it's been. The Father says, come home. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't kill you. But sometimes you have these kinds of moments where there's a warning. God says, come home. Some of you know my story. I, I had been home with my dad's church and I heard God so clearly that Sunday, so clearly say, come home. I came back to Greensboro. I was in a relationship. She was real cute. And I didn't want to give her up. But I said, nah, nah, I'll wait. Ran head on into a truck 
my truck flipped over, landed in the median at Wendover Avenue right in front of Sam's. I didn't even have a seatbelt on, y'all. And God said, come home. That day I wept in the car as the rain began to come down. I was 22 years old. We've never been the same since. Don't, don't allow tragedy to be what convinces you to come home. You can make the decision without drama. You can make the decision today without trouble. He is extending that invitation to that first son, that first daughter, come home. Or maybe you're the second son. And if you're honest, you've been a little cynical, maybe even a little hypocritical. And it's easy for you to look at other people's sin and not deal with your own. This second call is for you. And I know these are two hard calls because there's a part of you that wants to step out, but there's another part that's going to say, what are they going to think? But I want you to remember what this father did. He did not care about how it looked like a lack of dignity. He did not care what people thought about him pursuing his son. I want you to know God is extending this invitation to you. Come home. Admit that you need help. Admit that you've been going in the wrong direction right now. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for watching today's video. If you made a commitment of any kind or you made a first time decision to accept Christ, we want to hear from you. Email us at info at onechurchnc.net. If today's message encouraged you, we want to encourage you to give so that we can continue to share the hope of Jesus. You can do that by visiting onechurchnc.net slash give.